Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Lara Pizzorno, who is lead author of Your Bones. Today we will discuss why your bones need strontium. A member of the American Medical Writers Association for more than 25 years, Lara is the editor of Longevity Medicine Review and senior medical editor for Salute Geneticist, Inc., and Integrative Medicine Advisors, LLC. She regularly writes review articles for physicians on issues related to healthy aging for Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal, covers the breaking research on bone health via video clips and blogs available at algical.com, and edits the World's Healthiest Food weekly newsletter. A member of the American College of Nutrition, she's a contributing author to the Textbook of Functional Medicine, the Textbook of Natural Medicine, and Integrative Therapies for Depression. She's co-author of the Encyclopedia of Healing Foods and lead author of Natural Medicine Instructions for Patients and, of course, Your Bones, How You Can Prevent Osteoporosis and Have Strong Bones for Life Naturally first and second editions. That book has been translated into German and Polish. Lara, welcome back. Hi, it's really nice to be with you again. Thank you for coming back and sharing more insights on bone health. There's, I think, just not enough information out there, certainly not enough information of this kind. Yes, I, I agree, and I'm really excited about uh, strontium. I just finished. I'm, I'm working on another book, and I just spent about four months reviewing all the, the research on strontium, all the, a lot of new research on strontium, and the amazing number of really helpful things it does for our bones just blew me away. I mean, strontium is a bone health rock star, and I'm really excited to be able to share some of that information with, with your view, listeners because I, I'm sure it will be helpful. Let's start with something really basic. What exactly is strontium? Uh, strontium is a trace mineral. Um, it's found throughout the world in the soils, and because it's in the soils, it, it ends up in the water, and then it ends up in you know, plants grown in the soils. Um, it's in varying concentrations throughout the world, uh, lots more of it in areas in Turkey than in the U.S., or Canada or Mexico um, than here. Um, in the U.S., the intake is somewhere between 1 and 4, per, 4 milligrams a day if you eat a lot of vegetables, which most people don't. And then also the those uh, plants that are grown with conventional agriculture, the fertilizers used and so forth, do not replenish the soil with the trace minerals. And so people who eat even if they're eating a lot of vegetables, if they're eating conventionally raised vegetables, um, are not going to be getting much strontium. So it's a, um, in addition to being like everywhere, um, throughout dispersed throughout the earth as a natural trace element, it's um, a bone-seeking trace mineral that acts a lot like calcium um, in our bones, and also uh, helps us absorb calcium a lot more effectively. Uh, one of the things that strontium does is it activates a receptor in our cells called the calcium-sensing receptor. 
and that's a, a cell receptor that when calcium's floating by in the bloodstream goes, oh, wow, there's some calcium. Let's pull that in to the body so, you know, we can use it. And strontium is very good at activating uh, the calcium-sensing receptor in the kidneys particularly. Um, so what happens is when you uh, when your body uses calcium um, or you eat foods with calcium, some of it just gets washed out into, from the bloodstream into the kidneys and it gets excreted. Strontium helps you not excrete as much of it, helps you save some of the calcium that you would have otherwise lost so they can use it for your, your bones and your teeth and um, many the many other things that calcium does for us um, in the body. So to summarize, strontium is a naturally occurring tra- trace mineral, which right. is found in the earth and in some foods. Right. Yeah, foods that are grown in soils that contain strontium will, uh, will have some strontium. What in them. kinds of foods are we talking about? Plant foods, any, anything. I mean, any plant food that's grown in, in soil, uh, you, you stand a better chance of getting a, a wee bit of strontium if, if it's organically grown because the, you know, the, the conventional fertilizers and so forth don't contain the, the trace minerals. Can, or organically grown and, and uh, monitored or you know, prepared, cared for soils have much richer trace mineral content. However, the issue is, you know, what's in the earth's crust in the area where you live, where your food is grown? And as I mentioned, you know, strontium is much more abundantly present in the earth's crust in areas like Turkey. We we don't have a lot of strontium in the soils here. So it's you really are better off taking a, a strontium supplement. Does so although in theory it should be available in the foods that we eat, what I'm hearing you say is because our soil doesn't have a lot of strontium, there isn't a lot of strontium in our produce that's grown in the United States. Did, did I understand that correctly? Yes, you did. You, you'll, you'll get more strontium from produce that's organically grown, but the thing is it's just strontium is, is present in the Earth's crust around the Earth in varying amounts. And in the United States and Canada, it's not abundantly present. It's, it's present in very small amounts. So if you eat a lot of vegetables and you get them from organically grown soil, you know, in soils where it's, the vegetables have been grown organically and the soils have been well treated, you will probably get somewhere between 2 and 4 milligrams of strontium a day. Whereas what you really need um, for strontium to have a beneficial effect on the health of your bones and teeth um, is somewhere uh, in the area of 340 to 680 milligrams per day. So you're not going to be getting enough strontium from food to really support and promote bone health. Wow, that's a big difference. It, that you, if you're getting two to four from food and you need 340 to 680, that's a huge gap. Yeah, it's a huge gap. What if you were to get some from the vegetables? Are there particular vegetables where you're more likely to get strontium? Would it be like green peppers or asparagus or broccoli? Um, what kind no, of I, vegetables? I, I think pretty much any plant food that's you know, grown in 
fields that are not doused with synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides, um, but are, or, you know, where the soil is cared for and the mineral content of the soil is replenished using organic farming practices. So the message here is eat organic when you possibly can, can buy and have access to organic produce, choose that. It's going to have a much higher trace mineral content um, and mineral content, even things like magnesium, um, than conventionally grown produce. What does strontium do in terms of your bone health? You started telling us, but could, could tell us a little bit more about the role of strontium and how it interacts with your body in general, if you would. Sure. Well, like, um, so strontium is, is very similar to calcium in a number of ways. Um, it's picked up in the intestines the same way that calcium is. It uses the same transporters that calcium does. But strontium, unlike calcium, you know, which, which helps us build bone, it, it's, it's part of the bone matrix, what strontium does is it gets incorporated into the more active part of our bones. So your bones are basically have two different kinds of bone. The inside portion of bone is called trabecular bone, and it's uh, this soft, spongy, very metabolically active material. And then you have the outermost part of your bone, which is called cortical bone. That's the really hard, dense stuff. So if you think of your bones, <clears throat> excuse me, if you think of your bones as being like M&M candies, the trabecular bone where strontium goes primarily is like the chocolate inside the M&M candy, and the cortical bone <clears throat> is like the outer shell of the M&M, okay? So the strontium uh, when it when it is absorbed, it's absorbed similarly to calcium and uses the same transport. So if you take strontium, when you take calcium, you're not going to absorb hardly any strontium at all. So if you if you end up deciding to try a, a strontium supplement, it's very important that you take it at a separate time of day from when you're taking or eating anything that has calcium in it, because calcium always wins when strontium and, cal and calcium compete for transport into your system. But when you take strontium and it does get absorbed, it goes into your trabecular bone, and it does a whole bunch of things. It, it As I mentioned, it activates the calcium-sensing receptor um, in the kidneys and in your bones. So when calcium is floating by in the bloodstream, your bones absorb it much more effectively. Um, and you lose less calcium when you uh, are urinating. You know, you don't, you don't waste it. Um, and then it also does a whole bunch of things to improve the actions of various cells inside your bones that build bone for you. Um, the, the main types of cells that build bone for you are called osteoblasts. That's um, O-S-T-E-O-B-L-A-S-T. And they are the cells that are responsible for producing new bone and repairing bone that's damaged, okay? So um, strontium activates these, these osteoclasts. It tells your cells to inside your bones to produce more osteoblasts. It tells them to work harder, and it makes them live longer. So you get lots and lots of beneficial effects on your bone-building cells from strontium. And in addition... 
Strontium also inhibits the cells that break down bone. So you lose less bone while you're building more bone. And the cells that, are, that break down bone are called osteoclasts. So that's O-S-T-E-O-C-L-A-S-T. And these are specialized cells in our bones that remodel, help us remodel our bones by clearing out old crummy bone or bone that's damaged. Um, and they lay the groundwork for the osteoblasts to come in and build new bone. But what you don't want is too much osteoclast activity because it is a lot easier to break down old bone than it is to build new bone. It takes much less time to destroy something than to rebuild it. I mean, think about, you know, a house or a building. Destruction, construction crews can come in and demolish a building in a matter of hours. It takes months to rebuild it. The same thing is going on in your bones. Osteoclasts can break down bone much, much faster um, within, you know, a week or two, they have removed old crummy bone, and then it takes several months for the osteoblast to come in and rebuild the new bone in that area. So strontium helps balance this process. It helps not, it helps you to not have too much osteoclast activity, and it helps to boost osteoblast activity. So the end result is you build a lot more healthy bone. So, First of all, if you are not getting enough strontium from a natural source, which it sounds like it's very difficult to do, then you would need to take a strontium supplement. If, did I understand right. that correctly? That's correct. And then if you do take strontium as a supplement, you have to make sure that you take it at a different time than your consumption of calcium because calcium and strontium compete in the body, and if you're consuming them both at the same time, the calcium would be the one absorbed and the strontium will be lost. Exactly. You'll absorb no strontium if you take it at the same time as you're taking calcium. Okay. And let me see if I got the osteoblast and osteoclast part correct. One is the one that breaks down the bones that are not in good shape, and the other one is the one that builds new bones. Correct. And the strontium works to make those two work in harmony so that you're building down the bones in at a good rate, let's say, and building new bones at an equally good rate. Right. Yeah, you want to keep that, those two processes in balance. And that sounds like it's an easy thing, but if I recall correctly from your book, there are a number of patent medicines that are supposed to be helping you do just that that seem to be having the opposite effect. Is that correct? Yes. What happens, um, you know, the bisphosphonates, uh, there are two different types of, they call them anti-resorptive drugs. They um, destroy osteoclasts, so they can't clear out old crummy bone. And this, you know, it makes sense on one level, um, but when you really try to think it through, it's a very bad idea. If you don't clear out the old crummy bone, your, your, your bone mass stays the same or even, you know, gets bigger over time, but the bone that you have isn't healthy bone. And so you step off a curb and you break your hip. 
because the bone that you have is fragile, old, crummy bone that the osteoclast should have removed for you so that you could replace it with new bone. Osteoblasts and osteoclasts are a team, and they signal each other. So when the osteoclasts notice that there's an area of bone that needs to be cleared out, and they go in there and they clear it out, while they're doing that, they're signaling the osteoblasts, hey, get ready to come in here and go to work and rebuild this area. So if you don't have osteoclasts taking out the trash, not only do you not have the area open to build something new, but the signals don't get sent to do that. And so you basically just have bone that gets older and weaker and more fragile. So these drugs, that's why the limit on using the bisphosphonates like Fosamax, they tell the doctors not to prescribe them for more than a couple of years because by that time you've just accumulated a lot of old crummy bone and you're not building new bone well. So there are, there's more than one kind of strontium, right? Would you tell us about yes. that? Yeah, there's there's confusion. You know, the public is confused about strontium because there are actually three different kinds of strontium salts that are in use today. The first kind, a natural, stable strontium salt, such as strontium citrate, which you can purchase as a supplement, um, is safe and helpful. The next kind is a new-to-nature, very unnatural form of strontium that was developed by a, a pharmaceutical company called Servier in France that's called strontium ranolate. And the, the ranolate portion of this strontium, which is a, it's a toxic molecule that they created in a lab to combine with strontium so they could patent it and charge more money for it, okay, because you can't patent a natural substance. So the drug companies don't want to sell anything natural, and they created strontium ranolate so that they could sell it at a very high cost. Um, and what happens with the ranolate is it, it just disassociates from the strontium um, in the intestines, and then it can be absorbed into the body, and it causes some really horrible side effects. So strontium has been tarred with the side effects that have been caused by strontium ranolate and not the strontium and strontium ranolate. Even strontium ranolate has been shown to have a number of really beneficial effects on bone because of the strontium in it. But the ranolate portion causes uh, blood clots to form deep in the veins. It's, that's called VTE, vein, uh, venous thromb thromboembolism. You get a heart attack because you form a blood clot in a deep vein, and then it travels to the heart, and you get a heart attack. Um, it also causes an immune reaction in many people. People get rashes, and sometimes it's just a really horrible rash, but other times it's a rash that becomes so horrible that um, a bunch of organ systems fail and, and you die, and all your skin sloughs off. I mean, the pictures of the people that have these reactions are just horrible, and they are not uncommon with strontium ranolate. Strontium ranolate has never been approved for use in the United States, ever. You can't get it here, and no doctor can prescribe it for you. It is still being prescribed in Europe, though, um, but, not, but in a, on a very, very restricted basis. Um, supposedly, only the people who, you know, are at very, 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 very high risk of having a fracture and can't tolerate any other medication, and there's nothing else that can be done for them, 
um, and they have a very low risk of having a heart attack. So doctors, you know, prescribe it for them, but the results are not pretty. So what's happened is that people think about strontium and they hear, oh, it's causing all these horrible side effects in people in Europe, and then they think that, that natural strontium does that. It doesn't. It's only the drug form of strontium, strontium ranolate. And then finally, there's a third form of strontium that is used for medical purposes, and that is radioactive strontium. It's used to um, as a delivery agent in chemotherapy to get the chemotherapy drugs into bone. As I mentioned, strontium is a bone-seeking trace element. So when you consume strontium, it goes into your bones. And so they use the radioactive form of strontium to deliver toxic agents into bone to destroy cancer cells in the bone. So then people are worried about, oh, it's, you know, it's radioactive, it's going to be harmful to me. No. Natural, stable strontium is safe and effective. Um, the only consideration with natural, stable forms of strontium, like strontium citrate, which you can purchase in a health food store as a supplement pretty much anywhere, it's quite safe, um, are that you have to make sure you take, take strontium at a different time of day from when you take calcium, and you also want to be sure that you take twice as much calcium as strontium, which is why the supplements that provide strontium typically are about 340 milligrams a day. You're supposed to take, we're supposed to be getting around 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day. So 340 milligram intake of strontium citrate is extremely safe and is not going to cause any problems for anyone. Does that clear it up? Yes, I think so. So we have a natural, stable strontium, a radioactive strontium that definitely not fit for human consumption except to treat bone cancer, I think, right? Right. It's used as a, to deliver chemotherapy agents to bone. And then you have this patent medicine strontium renolate that is only available in Europe and only for very narrow applications. Right. Where does the strontium come from? So if we're not getting it from our food and we have to take it as a supplement, is that supplement from a naturally occurring source? Yeah, the, the strontium uh, comes, you know, from it's, it's taken out of the Earth's crust. There's, there's a number of different uh, types of strontium um, let's see if I can find the exact names of them. <laughs> let's see if I can find that. Well, my question is sort of, is it a natural source? And if so, yes. are, are we getting yeah, strontium it's a, it's from... It's a trace. Yes, it's a mineral. It's in the soil, just like, you know, calcium or magnesium. It, you, you, don't, you don't create calcium, magnesium, or strontium in a laboratory. It's, you know, it's a natural element. It's present in the earth. And it's, it's mined, it's derived from various rock crystals and so forth. Where does the strontium for the strontium supplements that we would take, where is that mined? In what country or countries? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. I would assume um, anywhere where there's large amounts of strontium would be the most reasonable, probably you know, maybe Turkey or countries in that region. 
because there, there's very small amounts of strontium in our soils here. So it would be areas of the world where strontium is, you know, abundant in the soil, and they pull it out, just, you know, just like they would calcium or magnesium from soil. Well, according to an online source that I'm not certain is reliable, (laughs) the three major producers of strontium as celestine, and I'm not really sure what that means, so hopefully you're going to tell us. That's one of the mineral forms in which it appears. Okay, so that's the one that you would have in a supplement. No, what happens is they take the strontium out. Okay, so what you have is the strontium ions, and then it can be... To make it stable, it can be combined, but it needs to be combined with something. You're not going to eat a rock, okay, and they don't have rock supplements in the health food store. So they take the strontium and they combine it with something. But what you want it to be combined with is something that's natural and healthful, not something that's a toxin. Okay, so they when they get the strontium from a mineral like strontium celestine, it's then combined, my favorite version is strontium citrate, because citrate is not only extremely safe, but it actually helps, it has, it has other beneficial effects for your body. So when you take a strontium citrate capsule, and you di- it goes into your digestive tract, and the strontium and citrate separate both get absorbed into your system. The strontium will, you know, go into your bones and help you. The citrate makes your body less acidic. It, it, it tends to be more alkaline. So it's as if you were eating more vegetables when you take citrate, you know, a product that has citrate in it. It makes your, your whole uh, metabolism function at a pH that's more alkaline. And this is really important for lots of reasons. In terms of bone specifically, many, many reactions will not occur if you're too acid. And when your system is too acidic, you, it, it signals um, a bunch of chemical messengers that then start the bone breakdown process that activate osteoclasts. And when they get activated too much, your osteoblasts can't keep up and you lose bone. There are many, many things that make us, you know, more acidic, more inflammatory, and all these things contribute to help you lose bone more too quickly. So the citrate helps combat that. One of the ideas that people question is, if this is something that your body needs in order to survive, in order to thrive, why is it that you can't get it from your food? Why is it that you need to get a supplement? Isn't the human body designed so that it can get everything that it needs from foods? Well, no. <laughs> we're not. We're not that. Um, yes, we're really well designed. And if you moved to Turkey, you would not need a strontium supplement if you ate a lot of vegetables there. You would probably need a calcium supplement if you weren't getting plenty of foods that were rich in calcium. But the, the, how the various minerals and the things that our bodies need to function properly are dispersed throughout the earth is not uniform. And 
particularly in the U.S. and in the West, you know, Canada, the U.S., Mexico, and in Europe now, the way that agriculture has been treated and the pesticides and the, you know, all the contaminants and the crummy foods that we eat that are food-like concoctions, they're not even really food. I mean, our bodies can't function well with that kind of a diet. It's Even if you ate all organic food and you tried to eat a lot of it, the mineral content in the soils is lower now than it used to be because virtually all the soils throughout the country have been depleted because of the farming practices that are used. So to get the same amount of, say, magnesium you used to get from eating some spinach, you'd have to eat three or four times as much spinach now. And there are many, many other minerals where this is the case. So it's hard to – and then the other issue is, do you want to just be functional or do you want to be optimal? There's a huge difference. And I think right now we, for the first time in human history – are beginning to understand what it takes for a human being to be optimally functional and to live a really healthy life for a much longer period of time. I mean, supposedly the human lifespan is 120 years. Very few of us get that far, and the ones that do aren't in real shape, really great shape, you know, after like at age 100. Many people stop being in decent shape by age 55 or 60. There's no reason for that anymore. We we have very, very deep understanding now of what our bodies need, and specifically, we can look at what eat, we're, we're unique. We each have varying nutritional needs um, that other people don't have. Um, I'll give myself as an example. I need, my, my bones, really, my genetic inheritance is so bad for my bone health that I should be dead by now. Everybody in my family died um, when they were in their 60s, 70s. I'm 68 right now, and I'm extremely healthy, and my bones are in wonderful shape because I know what to do for myself. And I take the supplements that I need to provide the extra nutrition that my body requires so that I can function properly. Um, I need a lot of vitamin D, and I'm also taking strontium because my bones need all the help that I can get. I mean, strontium is a boost. It's not something that you absolutely have to have to have your bones function well, but it is a really big help. And for anybody, if, if anyone and anybody who's listening, if anybody in your family has had osteoporosis or has osteopenia or you've been checked and you've found that you have one of these issues and they're extremely common today, as, as I think most of um, the people listening will know, you know, your risk of having a fracture is just extremely high. And it's the, the statistics for Hispanic uh, Americans are the worst of all the different racial groups. So if you know anyone or if you've been tested to find out what your risks are and they're elevated for bone loss, strontium can make a difference for you between functioning well into your 80s and 90s and having a hip fracture at age 55. You know, it's it's really really a good thing, which is why I'm I'm on this trying to share some information with you about it on this podcast. What about rickets? There was some concern that strontium could cause 
rickets. Where did that come from? Right. Okay. So that came from one study that was done in Turkey. Um, I, I want to say there have been over a hundred years of research done now on strontium, natural forms of strontium, when sufficient calcium is provided, never cause any problems. But in this one area in Turkey, some of the children uh, developed rickets because they were not getting, they were not breastfed, and they were not getting enough calcium. And so their bones couldn't develop properly. It wasn't really the fault of the strontium. I mean, the, the, the prescription that was provided for these children were, were calcium supplements. That's what they gave them to turn it around. So it's not, strontium is not the issue. Our bones have to have calcium. Strontium is a support nutrient, and we, we absorb actually very, very little strontium. Uh, even when we're, when we're taking, you know, 340 milligram capsule every day, the strontium that we absorb does get into bone, into the trabecular, really active bone-building parts of our bones, but we only replace like one out of 100 calcium uh, ions in the bone. The reason that strontium is helpful for us is not that it takes the place of calcium in, the, in our bones as a structural element, but what strontium does is it activates all these other bone cells. It has all these really important effects on our osteoblasts, our osteoclasts, our calcium-sensing receptors, and many, many other things. I mean, I, I just hit the tip, of, you know, top of the iceberg for you on some of the things that strontium does. It does literally hundreds of things that make our bones work better, and that's why it's important for us. It's not replacing calcium. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yes. So if I'm hearing you correctly, provided that you have enough calcium in your system, it's pretty safe for you to take the natural strontium supplement. Yeah, it, it's extremely safe and highly beneficial. Are there you know, to be on the safe on the safe side, you want to make sure that you're getting twice as much calcium as strontium, and you want to take them at different times of day if you want any benefit from the strontium. If you take them at the same time of day, calcium will outcompete strontium. You won't absorb the strontium. So what, it won't be able to be helpful to you. What kind of side effects, if any, should you expect from strontium? None. <laughs> Nothing. If you take strontium ranolate, you can expect lots of horrible side effects. But taking regular, natural, safe, a form of strontium like strontium citrate, there are no side effects. Are there no, any, nothing's been reported. Are there mm-hmm. any kind of conditions that preclude taking strontium? Is Are there diseases or chronic conditions or acute conditions where you should not take strontium? Yes. Um, there's one condition where strontium might be problematic, and that is in people with um, kidney disease, particularly, you know, advanced forms of kidney disease where they're on dialysis. And the reason for this um, is that dialysis fluids contain strontium. So that you're getting some strontium from them already. Um, and then if, you, then if you take additional strontium, you know, you can just get more strontium than calcium. People whose kidneys are not functioning well have difficulty eliminating 
you know, all the minerals, calcium, strontium, everything. Um, so it's, it's an issue. So if you, if you or someone you love um, is on dialysis or has significant uh, kidney problems, then supplemental strontium might not be a good idea. But outside of that, there really is no other concern. You mentioned vitamin D, which, of course, we now know is essential for bone health along with calcium. What is the relationship between strontium and vitamin D? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so as I mentioned before, calcium and strontium are absorbed the same way in the body. And vitamin D is used to help us absorb calcium. Without uh, good levels of vitamin D, we do not absorb calcium hardly at all. We're very, very bad at it. So it's the same thing with strontium. Um, you want to make sure that you have enough vitamin D floating around in your bloodstream to help you and in your intestinal tract so that things get activated properly and you can absorb your strontium. So for both your calcium absorption and your strontium absorption, it's important to ensure that your intake of vitamin D3 is adequate. And um, a couple of other things you can do to boost your absorption. Should I talk about those? Absolutely. Okay, you want to avoid your consumption of processed foods as much as you can. Eat, you know, real food. Okay, processed foods are very high in phosphate additives. If you look at the labels on the foods in the grocery store that are in the little boxes, um, you will see lots of chemicals. Many of them are phosphate additives. Phosphate additives are called GRAS, which means generally recognized as safe, although that may be going away uh, pretty soon because there's been a lot of research on phosphate additives and the fact that they are absorbed much more effectively than the phosphate in food, and they overload the system with phosphate, and they wreck the kidneys, and they cause cardiovascular disease. So you want to avoid phosphate additives because, again, they destroy, you know, your kidneys, and you can't, you, you won't absorb things well, um, and they're going to interfere with, with strontium absorption. And then the final thing that you want to avoid is there's a number of um, drugs, uh, antacids and things like that, that cause problems with strontium absorption. And since I do not personally take drugs, um, I avoid them whenever possible. Are we talking about antibiotics or is it some other kind yeah, of Yeah, there are some antibiotics. Um, if you have to be on them for a while, you want to avoid Things like Tums, Malox, you know, the an a bunch of antacids. There's um, some antibiotics that will combine with both calcium and strontium uh, in the intestinal tract, so that you don't, you know, you don't, and also interfere with the antibiotics. So you don't want to be taking it at the same time. So for at least two hours before and after you take, you know, a supplement with strontium citrate in it, you want to avoid. Any supplements that contain calcium, for example, um, foods that are naturally rich in calcium like dairy products, you know, milk, cheese, yogurt, kefir, uh, bone broth, for sure. I um, mean, I'd like to talk about bone broth in addition to this when we get done because I have some interesting research that I just read about bone broth. Uh, sardines, spinach, kale, collard greens, turnip greens, mustard greens, beet greens, or watercress. 
um, or foods that are fortified with calcium. There are, you know, a lot of the alternative milks like almond, rice, or soy milks are fortified with calcium. So is tofu. Uh, there's calcium-fortified orange juice and other fruit juices. Um, quinolone antibiotics are the form. So these are really broad-spectrum antibiotics like ciproflaxin, levoflaxin, uh, oflofloxacin. There's there's a number of them. And if you're if you've been prescribed one of these drugs, on the prescribing information, it will tell you not to take it with calcium because it will prevent its absorption. So the same holds for strontium. Any time, any drug where you're cautioned not to take it with calcium, you should also not take it with strontium because of their many similarities. And then there are, you know, various medications that contain calcium, like the calcium-containing antacids and oral tetracyclines, um, things like Tums and Rolaids, and then uh, antacids that contain aluminum hydroxide, which you shouldn't be taking anyway for numerous other reasons. We could discuss it another time. Um, Malox, Mylanta, and et cetera. And then chelating agents. That's an area that some of your listeners may be um, needing to know about. A lot of people in the U.S., um, we are finding have accumulated toxic metals in their system. And to get rid of them, they are being prescribed um, some compounds that bind to these heavy metals and pull them out of the body. So heavy metals like uh, mercury, cadmium, and lead, they're actually um, unfortunately quite prevalent in the population, and they accumulate in our bodies as we age so that by the time you're in your 50s, you can have a lot of them. And certainly um, those of us who are older and who were in our teen, you know, teenage years or younger and were building bone before gasoline was unleaded, the majority of us have accumulated quite a bit of lead. And what happens to it is it gets put into your bones. And then as you get older and your bone remodeling increases, that lead comes out and it's really, really harmful. So, and cadmium, too. Cadmium is in the soils uh, in many areas. It's present um, in higher levels in certain areas of the country and also in conventionally grown food. Calcium, uh, cadmium levels are higher, and it goes into your kidneys and into your bones. And the long and short of it is there are many reasons why a number of us are now being put on chelating, what are called chelating agents, to help our bodies get rid of these toxic metals. If you're taking one of a chelating agent, um, such as uh, DMSA, then you don't want to take your strontium citrate at the same time because the chelating agents bind to minerals like lead. Lead is a mineral. Uh, mercury is a mineral. Cadmium is a mineral. So you want your chelating agent to bind to the, the harmful minerals in your body and get them out, not to the strontium in your body. Because so you strontium is also a mineral. Right, strontium is a mineral. So you don't want to you want to take your and you don't want to take calcium when you take DMSA either. And you want to take your chelating agent at a time when you're not taking. I would just take it, you know, at night before going to sleep on an empty stomach, so that you you don't have other things that are it's competing with. If you're taking a, if you have to take a chelating agent because you're toxic with mercury, lead, or cadmium. You want to take that. Typically, those agents are prescribed. Um, you only take them like one capsule one or two times a week. 
So you take take on the night when you take that, don't take strontium, don't take anything. Just take that one thing. Is, is that understandable? I think so. It gets okay. complicated, right? It's complicated, but, you know, if someone's on one of these accumulating uh, agents, their doctors should be explaining this to them about how to take it, what's the best way to take it. Let's go back to vitamin D. I think that there are a lot of questions about vitamin D that we probably won't have time for today, but certainly as it relates to strontium and calcium, perhaps we can go into a little bit. One of the things that I remember from our last conversation was you saying that uh, vitamin D is best from a natural source as in produced by the sun, and then if you couldn't get it, then you would take a supplement, right? Uh, Yes. If you're, yes, although what they've found is that even in sunny areas, uh, people are still vitamin D deficient, even people who get outside and, you know, are in the sun, young young people. They've tested uh, one study I saw that was done in Hawaii where the subjects were in their 20s and 30s and were outside, you know, four, five, six hours a day and weren't using sunscreen and their vitamin D levels were still low. And there are many, many reasons why this sort of thing happens, um, largely genetic. Uh, we, you know, our body's ability to absorb and activate and utilize vitamin D really varies from person to person, um, and it depends on our genetics, what, what kind of enzymes we've inherited and so forth. It's, it's extremely complicated. I, um, I just spent the last three days looking at all the enzymes and um, accessory factors that we require to have our bodies make the best use of vitamin D. And there are a lot of them, and all of them, all the research now is showing genetically inherited differences in our body's ability to produce these appropriate enzymes. Um, I'm writing a paper on it at the moment. I I haven't processed it all well enough to to make it understandable to the general public yet. I can just tell you that many, many people need additional vitamin D because you you have to push these enzyme systems a little bit because they're not working really well. And I, like I said, I'm the poster child for this. I have every possible genetic problem that causes me to not be able to absorb vitamin D. And then once you absorb vitamin D, um, the, the, D the vitamin that you take you either make it in your skin or uh, you would take it as a capsule. It's called vitamin D3, the D3 form. is the natural form. And when you take that, um, it goes into your system and it gets absorbed, but then it's not active until two things happen to it. First, it has to go – well, first it has to get picked up from your intestines by a protein called vitamin D binding protein which latches on to the vitamin D in your digestive tract and pulls it into the bloodstream. And then it goes to your liver where certain enzymes in the liver called uh, hydroxylase, there's two hydroxylase enzymes, um, you don't need to know their names, but there's enzymes in the liver that then take that vitamin D3 from the vitamin D binding protein and they activate it a little bit. They convert it into a compound called 25-hydroxy-D3. And that's the compound that um, when you get a vitamin D blood test to see 
you know, if you have enough vitamin D floating around in your body to take care of you, that's the compound that's checked because it's the most stable of the vitamin D compounds. Um, it, it hangs around for several days. Uh, D3 doesn't hang around very long. And then the most active form of vitamin D, which is called 125D, it's a, like a hormone form of vitamin D, that's gone within a few hours. So back to the liver. Uh, the D3 gets delivered to the liver by vitamin D binding protein. It gets converted into 25-hydroxy-D3 by enzymes in the liver. And the ones that you have may not work very well. Um, mine don't. <laughs> and then that 25-OHD goes back out into the bloodstream and it goes to your kidneys. And in your kidneys, there are other enzymes that convert 25-hydroxy-D3 into 125 D3, which is the active form of vitamin D in which it really does all the work for you. So if it doesn't get converted effectively, you're not going to have very much vitamin D working for you. Does this make sense? You with me? I'm with you, except that I guess the, the first question that pops into my head is if your body is not absorbing the vitamin D3 through the natural process, meaning from sunlight, then what's to say that if you take the supplement, it's doing a better job? A uh, supplement is going to get in a lot more quickly and a lot more easily. When you produce vitamin D3 in your skin, um, so the precursor for it is cholesterol. So, you know, cholesterol is not such a bad thing. All the people taking statin drugs so that they don't produce very much cholesterol are also harming their ability to produce vitamin D um, and some other things, by the way. But at any rate, when you have some cholesterol um, and it's in your skin and then the sun hits your skin and then you, it starts this process, it takes about three days for you to produce vitamin D from that. And if you come inside after being exposed to the sun and you have a nice hot shower and you scrub everywhere, you rinse off that oily uh, stuff on your skin where the vitamin D is and it, you don't produce any vitamin D. So that's another reason why, you know, vitamin D levels, even in people who are out in the sun, um, are often not good enough. So what? if you take, yeah? If if you get wet, you lose the vitamin D. What happens if you're in the water, in the swimming pool, or in the ocean? Do you lose all the vitamin D? Uh, so what has to happen is you have to, the vitamin D forms, you know, in your skin, it's in the outer, outermost surface of your skin, and you don't want to scrub it away. I'm assuming if you're just in water, you're fine. But um, what I've suggested that people do is after you get your sun exposure without wearing sunscreen and clothing, which will prevent the vitamin D from forming in your skin, you then, and you, and you, you know, feel sweaty and grubby, you just rinse off with water and if you have to soap up, you only soap up like your armpits, your groin, maybe the bottoms of your feet or whatever, or uh, your face. But you leave most of your skin alone, just pat it dry, so that the vitamin D will absorb. Oh, it is complicated. It yeah. is complicated. And so, you know, taking a supplement is a safeguard. But what you, what you really want to do is get your vitamin D levels checked. It's a simple blood draw. Uh, they even have a finger prick test now for it where it's a drop of blood, you know, that, that's all they need. And it's covered by insurance most everywhere. 
Um, it's an inexpensive test. You know, you can order it online yourself. Um, it's quite an inex- – vitamin D council has a kit that they'll send you in the mail for a finger prick test. It takes about two seconds to, to do. You mail it back to them in an envelope, and they send you your results. You need to know where you are. So then you can really make intelligent decisions about, do I need a vitamin D supplement? You know, you, you want to be, uh, you, the, the optimal range for vitamin D is 50 to 80 nanograms per ml when you get your test results back. And I, I wrote about all this stuff at length in, in your bones. Um, I've also written about it at length on Algical's website. Um, I write articles that they publish for me so that I can get the most recent breaking research out to people. You know, it, it takes a long time to write a book, and then it takes a long time to get it published. Whereas online, you can, you know, I can read something and three days later it can be out there. So I've started, I've begun writing um, things that Algecal is publishing for me. So you can look there um, to see this information about how much vitamin D you need, or you can go to the Vitamin D Council's website, um, vitamindcouncil.org, and get lots of information about vitamin D. But you really do have to know where you are so that you know what you need. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. And you also had mentioned, I believe, the last time that we spoke uh, when we were talking about the vitamin D, that as you age, your ability to produce and absorb the vitamin D diminished. Is that, did I, do I remember correctly? Yeah, that's correct. One of the things that drops off, um, you know, lots of, as you may have noticed, if you're past 50, at 68, I really notice it. Um, you know, we, we become less, our bodies become less capable of doing everything, you know, many, many, many things. I, my brain still seems to be working really well, and I still have really good energy, but, um, you know, your digestive function isn't quite as good, immune function isn't quite as good. You know, you can certainly combat it, and you can remain in good enough shape to lead a really healthy, vibrant, happy life, um, I hope. You know, I'm shooting for 120. But, um, yes, it's a fact of life that our systems do start to work less effectively. And one of the things that gets impacted is our ability to absorb vitamin D. So we need more as we get older. And that's true for many nutrients, our ability to produce and absorb and utilize things slows down a bit, you know, and you can make up for it by pushing the system a little bit, by giving it a little more of those nutrients. And this is part of what you are doing with Estrontium is you are providing these nutrients as supplements because they're not available through your regular through your regular dietary intake, what other benefits does strontium bring to your bones? Well, it makes your bones stronger. Um, it's the only mineral that they've ever, you know, seen any results from where it's improved bones' ability. It, it, I think it's because of the, the way that it combines in the trabecular bone and, and in the cortical bone. You know, just a few ions are present. But it makes the instructions that it causes to be sent out make the bone crystals form. They have more stable uh, shapes, and they're stronger. 
and so they can be more resistant to fracture when you know when your bones get whacked when you fall or you lift heavy weights or something your bones compress you know get compressed and strontium makes your bones more able to resist that um try to think about some of the other things it improves mineralization um it, it improves the rate at which your osteoblasts work so it improves the rate at which new minerals you know are laid down new bone is formed um Oh, it increases, here's an interesting one. Uh, strontium increases uh, the differentiation of methyl, I am going to explain this, so don't worry, mesenchymal stem cells into osteoblasts. So inside our bones, we have precursor cells. They're called mesenchymal stem cells, and they can become a number of different kinds of cells. They can become osteoblasts, which help us build bone. They can become adipocytes, which build fat, and we most of us don't really want a lot more of those. Or they can become chrondocytes, which help us maintain the cartilage in our joint. And what these mesenchymal stem cells decide to become is determined by the environment in which they find themselves when they're inside our bones, you know, just, just developing inside our bones. The signals that they get from their environment tell them, we need more fat cells, or we need more osteoblasts, or we need more cartilage-building cells. And then they differentiate, uh, they develop into one of these types of cells, okay? So strontium causes our mesenchymal stem cells to become osteoblasts. It sends them a signal this is what you're supposed to do with your life. And we make bone instead of fat. Now, one of the things that happens as we age is we, our mesenchymal stem cells are more likely to become fat cells than bone cells. So giving them a little extra boost to go down, you know, it's more relaxing to be a fat cell. It's not very hard work to just sit in there and be fat. It's harder work to be an osteoblast. So our osteoblasts, our mesenchymal stem cells, need a little encouragement to become osteoblasts, and strontium does that. It encourages them to become osteoblasts. Another uh, nutrient that encourages our mesenchymal stem cells to become osteoblasts is omega-3 fatty acids, you know, the the, um, fatty acids found in fish, fish oil, um, EPA and DHA. Those fatty acids tell our mesenchymal stem cells to become osteoblasts and not to become uh, pro-inflammatory kinds of, um, uh, there's a bunch of them, um, and it's it's technical, so I'm not going to go there, but just trust me on this. The omega-3s tell your mesenchymal stem cells to become osteoblasts, and the omega-6 fatty acids that are found in Oh, processed foods and meats, preformed and um, many processed salad oils especially, they are very high in omega-6, and we get much too much omega-6 in comparison to omega-3, and the omega-6s promote inflammation, and inflammation causes our mesenchymal stem cells to become fat cells. So one of the things that we see in people as we age is a condition that's called sarcopenia. And what it means is you 
trade out your muscle for fat. You you lose muscle and you gain fat. That and doesn't sound good. No, it's not good. And you're I mean you look at people with sarcopenia, their their muscles are there. Have you ever seen somebody who's thin but they're really weak and they have no muscle strength? Sure. That's sarcopenia. So what happens is the muscle tissue gets infiltrated with fat cells. It's really, really not a good thing for you. And strontium will help prevent that. And so will omega-3, the EPA and DHA, those fatty acids in fish. So it's good to eat fish. It's good to take an omega-3 supplement to make sure you're getting enough of these really healthful anti-inflammatory bone-building omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. Where can our listeners get additional information for people who want to know more? Of course, your book update is coming up. Would you tell us about that? Yes. Um, Well, you know, your bones, what my new book is doing is it's expanding on the science that explains the things that I recommended in your bones. And I know, you know, I I spend the first two to three hours of every day reading the breaking research related to bone health. So, And I've been doing it for close to 30 years now. There's so much more research that we understand so much more within the last, like, five years than we did, you know, 20 years ago and certainly even five years ago. So I'm adding to what I have in your bones. Your bones is still really helpful. Um, My next book... I'm not sure what the title of it is going to be, um, but my next book, I hope to finish it this summer. And then, of course, it will be another six to eight months or so before it's published. So it, it's a year out. Um, if you want my latest thoughts on things, um, you can go, as I mentioned, I, I write articles that are published on um, AlgaCal's website. That's www.algacal.com. Uh, you can sign up for their, they have a newsletter, so whenever I write something, they send out, you know, a little summary of it and a link to it, or you can go to their website and go to the experts corner on their website and click on my name, and the things that I've written will come up, um, or if you have some area that you're concerned about or interested in or want to know more about, they have a search engine on that website, and you can put in, you know, whatever it is, and, and whatever's been written will come up on that. Um, you can also call AlgaCal and talk to people on their staff and have them ask me a question. They do that. Um, many I've gotten much many questions from people with some pretty complicated bone health problems, and I try to be helpful, you know, give them information that they can talk to their doctors about. Um, Lara, so AlgaCal is A-L-G-A-E-C-A-L? Dot com. Mm-hmm. A-L-G-A-E-C-A-L dot com. Uh-huh. And so if I understood correctly, the third edition of Your Bones is due out, and then in addition to that, you're going to have another book. Is it also on bone No, health? no, no. But no, no, that's not right. There, there are two editions of Your Bones. The last one was published in 2013 by Practicos Publishing. It's available on Amazon. The new book that I'm working on is not going to be called Your Bones. It is, it is the next iteration of the information that I put in Your Bones, um, but it's not going to have that title. Practicos 
is making money on my book, and they didn't want to pay for another one. <laughs> so I'm going to be working with a different publisher because there's so much more information I want to get out to people. Um, so I'm, I am doing another book, and it will be out probably within a year, hopefully less. I'm not sure what the title is going to be. I suggested Beautiful Bones. I can't use Your Bones again because Practicos owns that title as the publisher of those editions of my work. So it will have to have a different title. I don't know what it's going to be yet. But I thought Beautiful Bones for Life, you know, how to have beautiful bones for life naturally and safely because that's what I'm all about. Nobody should miss out on having that. You know, we, we have to have good bones to move around and to have a life and to be have an erect posture and, you know, without, without healthy bones, we, we will die. So I want to keep people, I want to give everyone the best chance to have optimal health and have the fullest, richest, most vibrant life for as many years as possible, um, including myself. I have a vested interest in all this now. As I mentioned, I'm 68. Um, my son is just finishing medical school and doesn't even have a serious girlfriend yet because he's too busy studying to be a doctor. And I really want grandchildren, and I want to be functional when he has them. So I estimate I have another six, eight years before I have even the slightest chance of having grandchildren. <laughs> and so I'm really working on keeping myself healthy. So everything that I learn um, that I can use to keep myself healthy and might be helpful to other people, I will be reporting. And I hope it will help a lot of other people besides me play with their grandchildren. Well, that's a wonderful thought. Is there another source of information or sources of information that our listeners could go to in addition to your book, which has already been published, and while we're waiting for the next book, what other sources uh, would you recommend? That is difficult. Uh, there are a number of other websites that discuss bone health issues, and frankly, um, they all have their agendas, and most of them are selling, you know, programs and things to go with their their stuff. And I have been very unhappy with some of the misinformation I've seen. I can't off the top of my head think of any other, you know, really good source. The, the National Osteoporosis Foundation is funded by the drug companies, and they promote drugs. That's what they do. So they are not a reliable source of good information about how to support the health of your bones naturally. I, um, if people are medically inclined at all, you know, the, the um, PubMed, the, the national, you know, our, the, the, all the, um, where all the, the peer-reviewed scientific literature is published, it's free access. It's on, it's on the Internet. You can go to PubMed, you can enter search terms there, and you can see, you know, you can limit the research that you get to see to, like, the last five years and only research done in human beings, and you can see what the research is that's, that's being published. But I... I don't mean to sound arrogant about this, but I really don't know any other place where you can get the kind of information that I'm providing, um, which is why I'm now being asked to speak at medical conferences um, in the U.S. and in Europe. And, and I've just gotten another invitation to go to New Zealand. Um, so I'm trying to get the word out to doctors 
and hopefully it will trickle down. Um, one other uh, group I can recommend you talk to um, or, you know, try to connect with is the Institute for Functional Medicine. <clears throat> Their doctors are, <clears throat> excuse me, are well-trained, and they think about bone health um, not just from a perspective of prescribing a drug that will not help after a year or two and will cause horrible side effects. Um, they look at a person's overall physiology, and they include genetics and everything else, so I, I haven't. Uh, one other book I will recommend, um, a book called Vitamin K2 and the Calcium Paradox, written by a doctor who's a friend of mine. Her name is Kate Room Blue. And uh, that book, Vitamin K2 and the Calcium Paradox, is on Amazon. And she cites me um, in it in some sections where my work was helpful to her. And I found that book excellent, a really good uh, good source of information. And, of course, vitamin K2 is important in bone health as well. Yes, vitamin K2. So v vitamin K2 is required by our bodies to activate the proteins that regulate what happens to calcium. So vitamin D helps you absorb calcium much more effectively, but it does nothing to determine what happens to that calcium once it's inside your body. That is the job of the vitamins that vitamin K2 activates. Uh, one of them is called osteocalcin. That uh, protein pulls calcium into your bones. And another one is called matrix GLA protein, and that protein prevents calcium from depositing in your brain, in your heart, in your breasts, in your kidneys, in your blood vessels, where you really don't want it to go because it will hurt you there. So without vitamin K2, those proteins don't get activated. And you, if you take vitamin D and you don't take K2, your chances of putting calcium where you don't want it instead of into your bones go up. So vitamin K2 is extremely important. Thank you, Lara, for joining us from Seattle, Washington. You're welcome. It's been wonderful talking with you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Lara Pizzorno, who is lead author of Your Bones, who discussed why your bones need strontium. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.